0: Post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today. Still the same open, huh? Well, this is weird. Good morning to you. Welcome in. It's the early morning show. Still sounds the same. The Wake Up Show is presented by 84 Lumber. Put your positive attitude to work at 84 Lumber and apply at 84lumber.com. Good morning to you. My name is Matt Cole. It's good to be with you again. Dark and early here on the early morning show. Um, might know me as Folesy these days on the Cook and Joe show. But I have been roped into doing the early morning today in the morning show. We've had some scheduling snafus with the producers. Some, some rearranging has happened here over the last 24 hours. So here I am. Not too mad about it, of course. I'm going to re- reunite with Colin and Chris. They're back in the building today. Doran Dickerson will be out today. And if there's one day to wake up this early, to start your day, yes, at 3 in the morning, but to end your day at, i am I'm be honest, I'm trying to get out of here at like 10.30 today. Normally, if I was actually producing the morning show, I'd be sticking around till like 11.30, 12, just to make sure everything is, you know, That The I's are dotted and the the T's are crossed, but eh, today on a Friday, on a one-off thing, I might be headed out the door at 10.30, don't tell the bosses, and a Friday is the best way to do it, and the best day to do it, to get the weekend started, and so I'm a little excited about that, and once you get past the wake-up, then it's all gravy from here, so we got past the worst part of the day. Man, it's been a while since we've talked this early in the morning. Uh, some things happened personally for me. I had a child. So that's a thing now. I'm a dad, which is still weird to say out loud. And it's even crazier to say that she's almost three months old now. Uh, her name's Mariah. She's great. She's growing like crazy. I feel like it's been maybe because I went back to work and I didn't see her all day, you know, every day that I just came home a couple weeks ago and I was like, what happened here? Where, who is this baby? How did she grow this quickly? And it's, it's awesome just to see like the, the developments, the mental developments as well, like looking at you, focusing on you, smiling when you smile at her, making noises whenever you talk to her. Those things, those little things have been so cool to experience in the first not even three months of her life. And now the big, big accomplishment and the big thing that we're doing right now That she does every once in a while, but we'll have to help her out too. Is she goes from her stomach rolls over onto her back, and you know we whenever she does that by herself, we make a big deal. You know we clap, yay, and get her to smile and that kind of thing. So are enjoying every single minute of it. Every time I bring up uh, the baby and just being a dad, especially Joe and Ron because they're both girl dads as well. Uh, Ron's got actually a daughter who's I think a a year or two younger than me if not the same age and Joe, uh, his daughter is 14 so they always talk about, yeah, wait until she gets, you know, wait till she gets a boyfriend or wait till you know, she gets to high school and all this stuff and I'm like, man, just I'm taking it one day at a time. I don't want to think about those things. That is way down the road and those are decisions and, and times in life that I just I don't want to rush into, so I'm taking it all in as it is right now. But, again, good to talk to you. Let's talk some sports here on the early morning show, if we have to, I guess, because it was a rough sports day in Pittsburgh. And I'll start first with your Pitt basketball, Panthers, and I'll bring in the legend, Billy Hillgrove. Final score, Duke 96-69. The Panthers head home and await the call from the NCAA. Bill Hillgrove in his 50th season, I believe, of calling Pitt men's basketball, which is longer than Jim Beheim was a head coach at Syracuse. Not a whole lot of people can say that in America, that they were at their job longer than Jim Beheim at Syracuse. 50 years for Billy Hillgrove. Shout out to him, the legend. And he did not see a very good game yesterday. It was over from the very beginning. I believe there was a 12-0 start to the game for Duke, and they never could quite catch up. And you can't do that against this Duke team because, yes, they might not have been a good team earlier this season, but they are galaxies different than what they were to begin the season. Despite what the net rankings might tell you about the beginning of the season and how important those wins are and how important those games are, as we know, because it seems like November and early December has been killing the Pit Panthers all season long in those net rankings, but that's a whole other discussion. I'm completely done with those. I don't know if I'll, if I never look at another net ranking chart again in my life, I will be happy as a clam. But Pitt loses in a big way to Duke. 96-69. I didn't expect them to win that game yesterday. I knew, knew that Duke was coming together and that they've got at least three lottery picks on that roster, and so it was going to be a potential disaster. And there were mismatches all over the floor. They've got size everywhere. Filip Kowski is a monster and he started off the game hitting two threes. And so he kind of set the tone even though he got hurt but he came back and was fantastic. It's a mismatch and they've got superior talent. I'm not totally surprised by the result. But I will say I'm a little nervous now of what the fallout of this game is going to be. Because look They've already gotten disrespected nationally. The, uh, as I mentioned, the net rankings and just the, the national thought that the ACC is basically a Division II basketball conference all of a sudden. Like, we think that the Mountain West is a better basketball conference than the ACC these days, which I think is ridiculous. I mean, I understand it's down, it's not the same as it used to be, it's not the same ACC that we all knew, but come on, the Mountain West. I really think that's better basketball. And there's a lot of teams if you go through the net rankings that are in, you know, say the, you know, CAA or the A Sun that are ahead of ACC teams with resumes that don't make any sense to me. No top 25 wins, there's losses in the quad 3 and quad 4. I didn't want to go down that road with net rankings, so I'm going to get off of it. But it worries me now after this loss and how they've ended the season what the committee's going to think of Pitt. After that win against Georgia Tech, I thought to myself, all right, they're in. At the very least, they're in the NCAA tournament. But then they go and lose like this to Duke. And I think Duke's going to end up being like a, what, a three seed, probably four seed in the, in the tournament. But when you lose like that, and when you are already just barely cracking the top 25, only did once at 25. And you're in an ACC conference that everybody believes is just crap basketball this year. Pitt might be in the first four. And they could be playing a local team, quote-unquote local, in Dayton. It could happen. We could see Pitt-Penn State in that first four game. Now, Penn State law, or won yesterday in the, the Big Ten tournament. They beat Illinois, so they might be out of the first four. They might just be in the thing. And I say in the thing rather than just the first four because I don't think that the first four is actually getting into the tournament. You know, they don't call it the play-in game. They call it the first four. But really, we all know it's a play-in game. You're not actually in the tournament if you're playing in the first four. And I, there's a 50-50 chance, I believe, that Pitt ends up in that game against whoever. It's either that or they're a double-digit seed. I can't see them. They were riding the 8-9 line for a while and being in that 8-9 game. After this and after the way they ended the season, couple that with uh, you know the loss to Notre Dame and the loss to Miami at the end of the regular season, I think they're either a 10 or they're the first four in. And that's not a huge deal as long as you get in, you take care of business. And I wouldn't be that upset about it if I didn't see how they have played over the last few games as well. Their defense worries me, and it has been, it's been the worst that they have been all season long, maybe outside of November and early December. Like They turned a corner, started pouring it on offensively for the rest of the schedule, and they played good, good defense as well. But now they have totally backtracked defensively. I mean, you look at the last three games, they gave up 88 to Notre Dame. A Notre Dame team that was, what, they had like four ACC wins this year. They gave up 81 to Georgia Tech. And they gave up three balls galore against Miami and lost that game. And now 96 yesterday to Duke. That's a problem. They've got to close out better. They've got to play great defense or better defense than that. You know, I still think that they're capable They're capable of making a run if they get hot shooting. That's the big difference from pit teams in the past, the Jamie Dixon teams, where this team can score in bunches. If they're down by 12, it's not going to take them necessarily eight minutes to cut that lead back down and to, to potentially tie up a game. All it takes is a few possessions. They hit a couple of threes. They get to the line a couple of times. Bang, they're right back in it. I love that ability from this team. I love that they can do that. That's so much different than pit teams in the past. So I think they're still capable of making that run. And they've got shooters everywhere, right? I mean, Burton, Henson, Elliott, Cummings. A lot of guys can hit from the outside. But it makes me really wonder now. If they're going to be able to stop anybody, no matter who they play. First four, as a 10 seed, 11 seed, whatever. And I also wonder if they'll be able to compete down low. I think it was a little bit of an outlier yesterday to watch that game against Duke. Because again, that's a big team. They're full of NBA talent. I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if Duke makes a run again to the Final Four. I think they are primed for that. They've come together at the right time, and they're rolling. But I don't know if they're going to be able to compete down low either, Pitt. I mean, I like Federico. Federico, he's he's definitely improved as this season has gone on, but he can't turn into Fowlerico, And he has many times throughout the season. And so this could be a really disappointing finish to the season. As, as great as it's been to have Pitt basketball back, to have some excitement around the program, to have some juice back at the Pete, To get that place, the zoo, rocking again. And to have people in the seats filling up the joint. I really wonder if we're headed toward a really disappointing finish to this season. It's still going to be a major program victory to turn this thing around. To finally have some success under Jeff Capel. I mean, he was essentially, I don't know how much he was actually coaching for his job. But in my mind, he should have been coaching for his job. I mean, there are buyouts at play here. We've got to pay the guy millions if you wanted to move on from him. But he showed you nothing coming into this season. And now all of a sudden he goes out and gets all these transfers. Works the portal like a gem. And gets all these guys to come together and to have so much success this year. Becomes the ACC coach of the year. Great stuff from Capel. But man, it could could all go down in flames. Because I could see them losing a first four game. Or the first game of the NCAA tournament. And what would that be? Four, losing four out of your last five games to end the year? Wouldn't be great. But we'll leave a sour taste in your mouth. So I've got, I've got some worries about Pitt moving forward. The other team that played yesterday and last night. So there were two just disappointing losses in different ways. Maybe horrendous losses in different ways. It was Pitt getting blown out by Duke. And last night it was the Penguins with yet another collapse against the New York freaking Islanders. Gosh, do I hate this team, the Islanders. Forget the the Flyers that they're going to play on Saturday. Forget the Capitals, because, I mean, Ovechkin's still there, but he's not as much of a rival rival anymore. He's not as uh, hateable a character as he used to be. And the Capitals are in the same situation as the Penguins. They're old. They're still okay. But they're not really cup contenders. So forget those two teams. The real rivals that the Penguins have, and it's been the past couple years now, are the two New York teams. And the Islanders and the Rangers. The Islanders are the, the most annoying team in the league. Because the Penguins just can't beat them. Even when they dominate for 50 minutes, 55 minutes even. Of a game. Like they did last night. They still find a way to lose. Against this team. The third period. Come back. They're up 3-1. And they give up two goals. And then they give up the goal in overtime. Anders Lee. uh, You know. Brock Nelson. Matt Martin. Casey Zizekas. Josh Bailey. Scott. Don't call me Baker Mayfield. Screw all those guys. I'm so sick. Of the New York Islanders. And really I'm just so sick. Of the Penguins play against them. Because they choke every single time. Playoffs, regular season, doesn't matter. And it was another case of that last night. And really big picture, this shows me exactly what the Penguins are. They showed a little bit of life before the trade deadline and at the trade deadline. Of winning some games, but now they reverted back to what this team is. And that's a borderline playoff team that's still in grave danger of missing out. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I really wouldn't. You can't lose a game like that. You just can't. At home, a two-goal lead, I don't care who it's against, you've got to finish it out. If you're a playoff team, if you have any hopes of getting beyond the first round, God forbid you do that. Get beyond the first round of the playoffs. You win that game last night. And I didn't agree with the decision by Mike Sullivan to start Tristan Jari. I thought he should have went with Casey DeSmith. Look, Casey DeSmith is just flat out playing better than Jari right now. There's really no argument there, I don't think. Jari's numbers since he's come back, they haven't been good. He's got a save percentage below 9. He's in the eights. You can't have that as, as your starting goaltender. And I kind of understood the argument of, hey, he's your starting goalie. You want to try to get that guy right before the playoffs. So you put him back in. You give him playing time. You try to let him figure it out and work through his, his struggles. I hear you if you're already pretty secure in your playoff hopes and your playoff futures future. The Penguins are not in that position. They are fighting for their lives every single game. They need to win games now. They've got no time to, to let a, a goaltender try to work out his struggles. I don't care if he's your starter or not. They can't afford to do that. And that's why I would have rode the hot hand again last night and started Casey DeSmith. And I think they got burned by Jari again last night. How many times is this guy going to be in a situation where he needs to make one save? Just make one. In a critical part of the game. When maybe things are starting to get away. Late in the third period. Just make one save. I can't remember a time that Tristan Jari has done that. He's had great games where he's shut out teams where he's been good from start to finish, but they win those games like 3 nothing. Now, there's never critical moments where he has to step up and make that save, that game-saving save, where you can rely on him. We can say, hey, we need you here. Please come through. Please steal this game for us, even. You know, we've been lucky to get two goals, and it's 2-1. to one. Please don't let them get a second goal here. And then he comes through. I honestly, and maybe I need to dig into this more, but I can't remember a situation in which that's happened with Tristan Jari. And so I've just about lost all confidence in that guy. I really have. Between the performance and the injuries. Some of them are his fault. I understand injuries are part of the game that you can't always control. You know, and I feel for, for players, for athletes who... Constantly get injured, especially when they've got immense talent because that just sucks. So, you know, I think of like Grady Sizemore in baseball where he was a monster when he was healthy. He just couldn't stay out on the field. I get those same feelings with this guy. It's always something with Jari, always something. And now I'm not even sure if he's 100% healthy. He might not be because he hasn't looked right since he came back. And it was another example of it last night. And I think another example of just not coming through in a big moment. And I understand there were some things that happened in front of him as well. With Jeff Carter, you know, totally missing on a hit and being totally out of position. And that's a whole another topic as well, because I think that's another thing that showed last night. Is that everything should be put back under the microscope with this, with this organization. Including the general manager. The guy who hung on to first round picks instead of really building this team to try to make a run you know settling for a Mikhail Grandlin for a second round pick instead of going after JT Miller or whoever to bring in a big name bring in some actual horsepower here to get behind this team to make a run into the playoffs <laughs> I think it's going to come back to bike them in a huge way because I'm not so sure they're going to make the playoffs and I think Ron Hextall's job should still very much be in jeopardy. You know, the, the trade deadline was mostly, yes, they added some. They got a little better with Granlin coming in and with bringing back Benino, 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 and Kulikov, marginally better. But really, the trade deadline was all about Ron Hextall just trying to erase all of his mistakes, trying to go back on all those Nasty contracts that he signed. The Kasperi Kapanen deal. The Brock McGinn deal. It's all just throwing money right down the toilet. And trying to open up as much cap space as you possibly can. Because Hextall is the main reason why they're so crunched up against the cap. I don't blame them and I don't fault them for bringing the core back. If they wanted to do that and they did it on a good price. I actually agree with the move. I thought they should have brought the core back because they were a really good hockey team last year. The goaltending, once again, failed them, but I was okay with that move. But the secondary moves, the Kapanen, the McGinn, and especially with Jeff Carter, who's still out there, still centering lines, and still has nothing left to offer, that I think it falls right on Ron Hextall. And especially if they miss the playoffs. His job should be on the line, man. It really should. So the Penguins, I think, showed their true colors last night that they are very much a borderline playoff team. And I don't think they're going much of anywhere because mostly, I don't think they have a goaltender. I don't know if Casey DeSmith is going to keep up this level of performance. I know, actually, that he most likely won't because he's a backup goaltender by nature. And I wonder if Tristan Jari is in the same thing. All right, 412-928-9370. You can always text into the show. I got the text line up uh, right now. And thanks for joining me here on the early morning show. Coming up next, I'm not going to do While Yins Were Sleeping. I won't bring that back. Um, that. I won't do everything that I used to do here on this show. But I will look forward to the sports weekend. And one thing that I'm very interested in that I am ask you Are you watching this? And if you have watched it, do you like what you see? And then by the end of the show today, I've got one move that I think the Pittsburgh Steelers should make. I'll plead with the Steelers to make this one move in free agency. That's all coming up next. It's the Early Morning Show. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Alright, welcome back. It's the early morning show. Mac Hole here with you to five forty before the fan morning show pre-show as always. Looking forward to the sports weekend here. Yeah, they've got the penguins and the in the flyers. Okay. You can watch that Saturday at three thirty. Not the same rivalry. You know, it's not the, the pens and flyers of old. Flyers suck. Penguins kinda suck. There is one thing, though, this weekend, I think. I haven't even actually checked the schedule. Let me let me Google it right now on the air. This is riveting. XFL. The XFL schedule. Are they playing games this weekend? Yes, they are. On Saturday and on Sunday. Saturday is uh, 7 o'clock and 10 o'clock. Sunday, 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock. Are you guys watching the XFL? I had a couple of buddies last weekend text me and said, hey, I really, I'm watching these XFL games, and they're entertaining. Saying that they've got just as 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 enough names that you know, you know, you've got your AJ McCarron, you've got uh, Ben DiNucci, of course, Um, you've got a few other names that are out there playing in the XFL. Of course, Hines Ward has a team with Joey Porter. People are watching that. I think that's the Brahmas, right? Is that what they're called, San Antonio? And I think people are, there's just enough name recognition, and I think people are interested in watching kind of the the new rules they put into place. And that's always the conversation around the XFL or leagues like that. Oh, they don't have any staying power. How, how do they think they're ever going to compare or compete with the NFL? I don't think that's the point here. The point is that you should be able to treat them. The NFL should. And it's why I like leagues like the XFL and the USFL and the AAF and whatever other football league, fill in the blank football league, is that you can watch them do weird stuff and try out weird stuff on a football field and see if the NFL might take that into consideration or put that into place at some point. And the one that always comes to mind for me right away is the fourth and 15 onside kick option. I love that. Rather than watching a bunch of special teamers collide with each other 10 yards away and chase after an odd shaped ball that's bouncing on the ground, why not have the best players on the field, both offensively and defensively, put them in a, a strained situation, you know, tenuous situation against each other where they've got to make a play on a fourth and 15 instead of that, that onside kick? And see what happens. I'd much rather see Kenny Pickett in that situation if it comes down to it. Try to complete that pass or make that play. Or certainly watching other games like watching Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow or Josh Allen in that situation. Rather than watching an onside kick. And I don't think the NFL will ever implement that. I think it's too quote-unquote gimmicky for people. Yeah, I'm not sure. And especially, you know, I can see the higher ups at the NFL, like, oh, we're, you know, we're above the fourth and fifteen. We we're not gonna put something so silly into our game like that. My argument is the the onside kick is just as gimmicky as the fourth and fifteen play. And I think it would be a lot more exciting to put that in there. But I think overall, and maybe this is just a small sample size with the group of my friends that are, you know. They're the everyday sports fan. Watching the XFL on a weekend. And they're actually, they don't turn off the TV immediately. And I think that's the best thing that you could say about that league. And I wonder if other people feel that same way as well. And you can text in at 412-928-9370. All right, coming up next, one move that I think the Steelers should make in free agency. I'll give you four reasons why they should make this move. That's next. All right, back. Morning, early morning show here for a couple more minutes before the fan morning show pre-show. Colin Dunlap, Chris Mack along, Dorn Dickerson is out again today. And of course, well, I'm filling in for Nick Callis, who is filling in for Adam Crowley here on the early morning show. All right, four reasons why the Steelers, they got to go out and sign Bobby Wagner. The first reason is they've essentially bottomed out at inside linebacker. No turnovers, one sack, a mere five quarterback hits between Miles Jack, Devin Bush, Big Bob Spillane, and Mark Robinson. I mean, they've gotten no production out of that position. Miles Jack, he's okay. I think he's already kind of over the hill at 27 years old, if you can possibly be that way. He's got a lot of miles on him already. And he fell off at the end of the year, and he's got injury issues. Devin Bush, I don't even need to explain that. Done with that guy. Big Bob Spillane, he'll be back again. Uh, Jerry Dulac uh, reported that. He put that in his mailbag yesterday. That's okay. He's he's a smart linebacker, but he's not a starter. And Mark Robinson, I have no idea. A lot of people like him. He's a wild card. I haven't seen enough of him to even have an opinion about him. I don't don't know. Maybe he's got potential. I, I just haven't seen him enough. So that's the first reason. That's the obvious reason here that there's a huge gaping hole at that inside linebacker position. The second reason is that the draft is weak at inside linebacker. There's a lot of talent that might be clumped into the second and third rounds, but as far as first round game-changing talent, it's not really there. The only first rounder I've seen in all these mock drafts, and Lord knows there's a ton of them out there, is Drew Sanders from Arkansas. Uh, Nolan Smith is another guy from Georgia that I've actually seen mock to the Steelers. Uh, Ryan Wilson of CBS Sports had him. But he's kind of a, he's not really an, an inside linebacker by trade. He's more of a hybrid edge rusher, which I guess would be okay to plug and play there as well if they landed Nolan Smith. I just don't know if he's going to be around at 17. So as far as first round game changing talent, it's not necessarily there in this draft. Now you don't need to be a first-round pick, of course, to be successful in the NFL, but you get the point. The third is the cap space is manageable. It's not great, but it's manageable. They'll open up at almost 12 million when they cut William Jackson III in that contract. Whether they bring him back on a lesser price is a different story. But they'll get rid of that contract. They'll carry over almost five million of unused space. I mentioned Jerry Dulac in his reporting. He thinks they'll re-sign Sutton, Pierre, Gentry, Spillane, and Joby. I would sign Bobby Wagner over Larry Ogunjobi if I needed to, and I would sacrifice that. I like Joby. He also has some injury issues, though, and I don't think he was effective enough. He was only effective in spurts. I think Bobby Wagner would be a playmaker throughout the entire season. And if I had to spend that money, I'd go Wagner over Ogin Joby and just try to replenish via the draft at that position. And the the fourth reason is that Bobby Wagner still got it. He was an all pro, different from a pro bowler. You know, the Pro Bowl that Tyler Hunt or, or yeah, Tyler Huntley made. All pro. Six sacks, two interceptions, ten quarterback hits, 140 tackles. Go sign the man. It might it might take ten million per year. But go sign the man. All right, this is something that I'm going to do here to bring it back from the early morning show. This might not apply to you directly, but I've been reading through 1 Timothy lately, and so this verse always stuck out to me. It is 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, and love, in faith, and purity. Might not apply to you directly, of course, but it could apply to somebody you know, grandson, granddaughter, daughter, whoever, to put that into your life. That it doesn't matter your age, you can still make an impact for the kingdom. Fan weather, it's brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Silverados and Colorados are back with great selection. Stop in online at sunchevy.com. Today, periods of rain, high 45. Tonight, uh, snow showers potentially up to an inch, a low 30. Pre-show next. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours